Louise Penny, thank you so much for joining us today on Poured Over. You have many fans at BNN who would love to move to Three Pines, despite the body count. Yes, it's, it's prodigious. It's yes. something. <laughs> but Armand Gamache, your chief inspector Armand Gamache, is a fan favorite at BNN, as is the rest of the community, Clara and Ruth and the gang. Gamache's family, <laughs> we love them as well. But I want to keep this conversation, if we could, to the man himself. The madness of crowds has been out for a little bit. And so there are some folks who've experienced it. There are some folks who are still waiting. We're going to convince those people who have not yet tried your books to try your books. What's it like to live with a character over 16 years and 17 books? You're working on the 18th now. Right. Right. In fact, I actually lived with him for longer than that. Mm -hmm. He first sort of appeared in in my mind in um, 2001. So about 20 years now, this is the 20th anniversary of the birth of Armand. <laughs> when, I, when it came time to, to create the character, and I, and I really, obviously, I hoped, because I love reading series, and I'd hoped that this would become a series. I hoped that the first one, Still Life, would be published, but I really didn't think it would be, because what are the chances? I, I'd heard that... I don't know if this is true. Maybe you know if it's true. That mm. Christy grew weary of Poirot. Have you heard that? I have heard that. I yeah. don't know where it comes from exactly, but I have heard that a couple yeah. of different times in a couple of different places that she did. She was weary of Poirot. Absolutely. And I didn't want to grow tired and certainly grow to hate my uh, my detective and feel like he's an albatross around an anvil around my neck. I'm dragging forward. Finally, have to throw him over a cliff or something. <laughs> so I, I thought, now how, like, why did she hate him? And how do I make sure that doesn't happen to me? And I think she grew to not like him very much. Mm -hmm. Although the rest of the world loves him because he never evolved. He is Mm -hmm. essentially the same one in The Mysterious Affair at Styles as he is in the final uh, Poirot. So I wanted a character who could evolve, who was multifaceted, but also whose company I would enjoy. So I thought, you know, I don't want to make him tormented and tortured and, and an addict and just someone really at, at war with himself, because that wouldn't be pleasant. So I gave him all the qualities that I admire in a man. And I realized it's actually all the qualities I admire in a human. And that's that he's compassionate. He's thoughtful. He's kindly. He's, you know, when called upon, he can act. But his first instinct is never to lash out. He's more more likely to be mistaken for a professor than for um, than an SAS commando. Uh, he doesn't like carrying a gun, but he's willing to use one if necessary. So all of these choices that he has made in his life, and as the series goes on, you know, he evolves forward, but we also discover more about his history and where all of this comes from. So that was really where he came from. And that's why I think I enjoy his company. I went through a period where I was very cynical. I mean, I was a journalist, so it kind of goes with the territory. I almost have to be cynical and dark and sarcastic and um, negative. And, and I thought that was pretty cool. And others around me thought it was cool too, but it just wore me down. And it wasn't really who I was. And I discovered how very difficult it is when I tried to change, to be kind, to see the cruelty, to see the clever remark, but choose to say something nice instead. And that's not often rewarded either. And so I find writing a character who does make that choice really, really interesting. And that's, 
I think that's a real character. And I think that takes a lot more courage. Anyone can be negative. Anyone can be cynical. It's facile. It's easy. It takes no great strength or courage or insight. To be kind and compassionate, to forgive, that's tough. And he's not naive. He's not Pollyanna no. running around saying, oh, goodness gracious, someone has died again. <laughs> I have to solve the crime. He's a nuanced guy. He's surrounded by nuanced characters. And he's not He's so deliberate and thoughtful that you have a line in The Madness of Crowds where he stops for a second and looks at the ceiling so he can find the pause between thought and action. Mm. And that line just sticks with me because he does that in multiple places throughout the book or he gets someone to take a step back. And you've talked about in the past how you start your books with questions. And each book has sort of its own theme, even though it's Gamache and the gang. You still always start with a question. And in this case, and I, I would like to talk about the madness of crowds a little bit in this context, because it is such a big idea. And the title is so great. And it comes from a book that you've experienced. So I'd like to talk about that. But also, can we talk about some of the questions that drive the madness of crowds? Because he finds himself in a situation where he's questioning what bravery means, what mercy means. These are really big questions. And yet he doesn't shy away, but he's also a little surprised to find himself where he is. In this book, two different characters, one whom he admires and one who he despises, mm -hmm. call him coward. Actually, three calls him mm -hmm. coward. <laughs> and that doesn't happen very often in the Gamash books. And it really sets him back on his heels. At first, he just dismisses it, but then he begins to consider some of the choices that he has made. And, as, and you're right. They, there's a, a line from an earlier book that Ruth uses, and it's a Robert Frost line where it's it's not in a poem but it's in a letter to one of his friends about the process of writing and in it he says that a poem begins as a lump in the throat and i i understood that immediately and my books begin as a lump in the throat as something caught there as something i'm not comfortable with something i can't quite swallow but can't give up either and struggle with and often the lump is still there at the end of the book these are ideas and concepts that aren't easy. And I don't know the answer to them. And because I don't know the answer to them, Armand doesn't either. <laughs> I wish you'd tell me. <laughs> uh, so yes, it's the nature of courage. He's faced with some choices and some challenges, and he really has to reflect on whether he has made the right choice. Um, I don't want to get too much into it, but these are big issues also facing society. The choices we make as a as a society of who lives and who dies. And, and that's something, the choices that Armand is faced with in this book as well. But you're right, the, the Madness of Crowds comes from a book my mother actually had. It's by Charles Mackay, who was a journalist and, and, a, and a kind of a social philosopher. This book was written, I think, in the 1840s. I've just forgotten now, but like a long time ago. This isn't a contemporary book. And in it, it's a series of short stories, essays, really, nonfiction, where he looks at these moments in history where, as a society, we have gone mad. Something that, if you take a step back, these normally rational people would say, well, that's insane. No, no, no person would spend their life fortune on a single tulip bulb. And yet that's what people did in the Netherlands, in Holland. They spent fortunes on tulips and tulip became the currency. It's called tulip mania. There's a South Sea bubble. There's the witch hunts. There are all sorts of this hauntings. So he examined why do rational people go nuts? 
every now and then. And not just one at a time. And that's part of what this is about as well, is that one person goes mad and then they pass it on to the next person and the next person. And it starts to just take off until it takes on a life of its own and is unstoppable. And we're seeing that now. We're seeing that in the growth of tyranny. We're seeing that in social media. We're seeing how easy it is to create these black holes and have people tumble into silos and fill those silos with hate, with misinformation, with cruelty. So it's these ideas, these negative ideas, this hate is often a virus. It's not called the the madness of an individual. It's the madness of crowds. This is your 17th. Yeah, go figure. 17th novel. A lot of lumps in the throat, I'll tell you. (laughs) Lucky for us. (laughs) Did anything surprise you? Did Armand surprise you? I'm constantly surprised by the books. Because I think about books a lot before I start writing them. I don't write structure and a formal outline, but I carry a notebook around with me for about a year before I start writing. And I write down quotes and thoughts and ideas and snippets of overheard conversations and things from the newspaper. And I feel a little bit like, what is it, a magpie who goes around and picks up shiny objects and spurts them away. And, And then some of them are used, some of them are used later, and some just are never used. But eventually, a pattern forms. And that becomes then the, the idea for the book or the theme, the theory, because murder isn't a, you know, it's an act. It's not actually a theme. I'm not interested in spending a year and a half of my life writing about an act, a single act. What I want to do is explore. That's the, like the Trojan horse in, under which all other of these other ideas and themes ride. All of your characters have these moral dilemmas, regardless of the book. I mean, it's this is every single book we're talking about. It's more about, in many ways, the moral dilemmas than it is mm. about the actual solving of the crime. I mean, the solving of the crime is fun. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's nice to puzzle through with you. But is that your favorite part of the setup? For sure. And I think that's what I was trying to get at. But when I start writing, I have an idea of the themes of the crime, of who did it and why. The why, obviously, is the most interesting. But I try not to hold it too tight so that there's room for inspiration, room for it to breathe. I don't always get the balance right. Sometimes I hold on too tight and then I have to go back and just sort of expand a bit. And sometimes it's too loose. And then the first draft is a real piece of merd. <laughs> but, you know, then you go back and you do the second and third and fourth draft. And somewhere in there is the story and the theme and simplify, uh, clarify. Uh, but yes, I'm always surprised by the books. And that's, that's the best part. And of, I'm often surprised by the themes as well that emerge. I think a book is about one thing. And then by the end of it, it's about something else. And I, I like that. I like that. I depend on that, actually. Are your characters helping you uncover that then as you're working? Are they sort of showing up and saying, hey, wait a minute? That's an interesting question. It happens so organically and so unexpectedly. Sometimes it's just a phrase or in this book, there's, I won't get into it, of course, but there's this sort of leitmotif of snowflakes and that was unexpected. And then as I was writing about the snowflake, that reminded me of something else. And then that reminded me of something else and something else. And then that became part of the thread through the book, the idea of beauty and of transience of choice of perception. 
There's a great line that you have in the book, how we feel about things influences how we see them. Mm. And you're juggling, I wouldn't say it's a small cast in this book. It's a little bigger than some. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to let readers discover. (laughs) Operatic. (laughs) I guess that, yeah, I it's fun because the way everyone comes together we're back in three pines you are in paris for the 16th book all the devils are here but we're back in three pines it's that sort of quiet period after christmas leading into the new year there's ice skating there's sledding there's honore and his first word and readers who know the series will know what i'm talking about when i say honore's first word taught to him by the duck rosa which is a nice touch. There are all these lovely moments, but it doesn't mean that the world is in a troubled place. You have set the madness of crowds in a post-pandemic world. And this is made clear in the first page. So we're not giving up any spoilers here, but it's a very deliberate artistic choice. And I'd really like to talk to you about that for a second. Well, it's interesting that you say it's a deliberate artistic choice because that was one of the surprises. Mm -hmm. I was not planning to said it at all in the pandemic. I started writing in March, 2020. I hadn't planned to start writing then, but like the rest of the world, I was trapped at home. (laughs) You can only apparently sit and eat bonbons for so long. I've discovered you can do it actually for a few weeks. (laughs) But then eventually something, the mind cries out for some stimulation as well. So I started writing. It's so easy sometimes to forget how awful and terrifying those days where we're going out to get milk felt life-threatening and was. We didn't know how bad it was going to get. We didn't know really how it was spread, how long it was going to last. So I was pretty sure that by the time the book came out, the last thing anyone is going to want to read about is the pandemic. And so I thought, this is going to be an escape from the pandemic. I got two-thirds of the way through. And as I was writing and following these themes of hate speech, and again, I'm not going to get to, but how that becomes viral. As I followed that through, I swear to God, I mean, I must, I must have been on like a sugar high for like six months because nothing went in. It finally hit me. My God, it's the pandemic. It's a pandemic. It's a pandemic of hate. Social media is a pandemic of hate. You know, it has pluses and minuses, but not just social media. That's the kind of the conduit, but it's the idea. Ideas, good and bad spread, but mostly bad ideas. Hate spreads very quickly. And that's what we're following here and through the book is how an idea is spreading. And not to, not to people who are, you know, dumb. And These are decent people. Thoughtful people, it's, and which has nothing to do with education or income. It's these are good people who are taken in because they're afraid, and so I wanted to explore that. At that stage, it became clear, as I said, that this is the pandemic. So then, when I went back to the very beginning and rewrote the whole thing with the pandemic as a theme, but I knew I didn't want the pandemic to continue. I wanted it still to be hopeful. So the only way to do that for myself as a human being writing this, but I thought as readers too, was to set it post-pandemic. So the pandemic's over. But of course, because it's so searing an experience, there are echoes that, that the community's still feeling. What do you want readers to know about the series in general? I think it comes out in, in this book, actually. I, I suspect in every book. I was thinking about 
Martin Luther King talking about, because I've thought a lot about what's happening these days and what a, on, 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 on all sides, and but how divided we all are and how we really are in these silos. We're never going to combat hate with more hate. The way to combat it is with love. Now, that's not easy, and it's not something I do every day, that's for sure. But if we can even approach it, if we can even consider it as a possibility, then we are one step closer to finding common ground. And I think that's what this series, this whole series is about. It's not perfect resolutions. It's the imperfect. It's the cracks. It's the the wounds that we all are. We're all shattered. We're all wounded. We're all pieced back together again. And I think the balm has to be kindness and it has to be goodness and it has to be love, loving ourselves, loving our fellow man, loving life, goodness. I, I think that's that's really what I would like people to come away with at the end. What I want to come away with at the end is that yeah, bad things happen. No way to stop terrible tragedies. All we can control is our reaction to it, our perceptions and and connect with other people. We have a few more minutes before you have to scoot. So I have one last question for you. Why do we love mystery so much? Oh, oh I wish I knew. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I keep, I think I should have a smart answer to that. <laughs> if I make a few more jelly beans might help. You know, I don't know. Do you have a theory? I mean, there's a theory that, you know, things are resolved, but that's not necessarily true. I mean, in my books, not everything is resolved. I know for me as a reader with your books, it's all about the interior landscapes of the characters. Mm. The mystery for me is very secondary. I think there's satisfaction that comes from puzzling out the story with a general mystery. It's just, I think there are people who do love to puzzle out a story and to see if they can get ahead of the writer and, and figure out what's going on. And I think that's a lot of the appeal, but when I talk to my colleagues who also love your books, for us, it's about community. It's about the place. And you've written before and you've spoken before about Three Pines being an emotional location as much as it is a physical place. And obviously none of us can go there except in your books, but it is someplace where readers feel transported. They feel safe, even though the body count is what it is. (laughs) Yes, but they know, see what they do know is that I don't want to be lying in bed reading and afraid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that people who are lying in bed reading my books aren't, you know, going to sleep with the lights on. Mm-hmm. You know, bad things happen, but you, you are safe. You're okay. And that it's possible to live with kindness, which again, mm-hmm. isn't naivete. It's no. not. It's simply a way of looking at the world and saying, oh, I can do this. I have a past. My past informs who I am. It may inform who I become in the future. But this is where we are in the here and now. And the stories are ultimately very charming. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Because again, it's, it's that duality, isn't it? You've got the charming story, the kindly people, and then the horrific act. And how do you, um, you know, square that circle or circle that square or whatever? Yeah, and the the gap between what you're thinking, and what you're saying, the the pretty attractive visage, and the unpleasant thoughts. Yeah, you know, you're right. That's the community is so important because there's no physical safety. 
we can't guarantee that, but we can guarantee emotional safety. And the way we do that is to connect with other people and to be as decent as we possibly can. And that seems like a really great place to hit the time mark. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm so sorry, but you do have time limits today. So we're going to respect this. But the 18th novel will be out in 2022. That's all we're going to say right now. (laughs) It's coming. It's coming. If you've read The Madness of Crowds, you know how great these books are. If you haven't, please do. You have 16 other books to read with it. And if you have read all 17, now might be a nice time to reread. It's a good time of year for that kind of thing. Louise Penny, thank you so much for joining us on Poured Over. It's always lovely to see you. And it's always really fun to read. You're very devastatingly funny because that's the other thing. You are very funny. Not laugh out loud funny all the time, but that's a conversation for another time. We're going to leave people hanging a little bit and then we'll come back. Good. And we'll talk about how funny things can be. Thank you again. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Happy holidays. Same to you. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.